Shabbos is displaced as far as saving life is concerned. As are all mitzvahs. A person who is dangerously ill. Anything necessary for him may be done on Shabbos. Based on a qualified expert doctor in that locale. If we're uncertain as to whether or not he requires a Shabbos to be desecrated, so we're not sure, for example, if he needs this fire lit, for example. Similarly, if the doctors disagree as to whether or not you have to violate the Shabbos for him, we do play it safe, so to speak, and violate the Shabbos for him. Because the doubt about saving a life also displaces the Shabbos. A person, if the doctors evaluate this person requires this treatment, which violates the Shabbos for eight days, so they want to, they, they say that the eight days could, for example, start this Shabbos and end on the next Shabbos. We do not say, say we, we, don't, we don't say, let's wait till Shabbos ends. This way, instead of doing the treatment from Shabbos to Shabbos and violating two Shabbosim, we'll do it from Sunday to Sunday and we violate only one Shabbos. You start right away on that day, which is Shabbos. And we desecrate even a hundred Shabboses to save his life. As long as the person needs the, the treatment which violates the Shabbos and there is danger or possibility of danger, a doubt of danger, we violate the Shabbos. And there we light a candle for him, you extinguish a candle in front of him, we slaughter an animal for him, we cook, bake and cook, heat water for him, whether to drink, give him to drink hot water or to have him bathe. Here's the principle of the matter. The Shabbos, as far as, far as the person who is dangerously ill uh, is concerned, all the things he needs, uh, Shabbos is a, is a weekday. It's, irre- it's, it's, it's behaviorally, behaviorally irrelevant. Gimel. When you do these matters of violating the Shabbos for the sick person, we don't do it through a goy. Nor through a child, nor through slaves or women. Slaves and women have to keep Shabbos like an adult Jewish male. Except since in general their obligation in Torah is more is more uh, minimal, you might think it's preferable to have them do it. We don't do it in, in these cases because then we're afraid the Jewish people will not take a Shabbos seriously. If you see if they see that uh, we, we we violate the Shabbos on behalf of if we use a non-Jew or a child. Uh, or anything else, or have a slave or woman do it, then people will start taking the Shabbos not seriously. Rather, we specifically use the great sages of Israel in order to violate the Shabbos for the sick person, in order that people should realize that it is serious, and these are exceptions. It is forbidden to tarry your weight in terms of violating the Shabbos for a person who is dangerously ill. Shanemar says, that person does them, does the commandments, and lives by them. He should not die by them. So therefore, if a person has to violate the Shabbos, don't say that if we wait a little bit longer, maybe we'll be able to, to not violate it or for whatever reason. Um, you know, if we, if we walk to the hospital instead of driving to the hospital, things like that, that's not, a, that, that's not correct. You can infer. The laws of the Torah are not vengeance to the world. They are rather kindness and mercy for the world. Those heretics who say 
that this violation of the Shabbos for the purpose of saving someone's life is uh, not allowed and it's forbidden. That the Ram is referring to those who don't accept the oral Torah. Regarding them, the Pasuk says, this is in Yecheskel, I have given them as well uh, uh, not good laws or and, 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 uh, another word for laws that they cannot live so to the Pasuk is referring to these people who take, take the Torah and use it in a way that it, uh, it goes contrary to the basic principles of life of someone who has pain in his eye, who that means that one of them or both of them has uh, has uh, some kind of secretion. Because of the tremendous pain, his eyes are tearing very much, like there's a burning sensation perhaps, and his eyes are tearing. Blood was flowing from them. Or uh, there was a fever, uh, or according to some versions of the Rambam is a piercing pain in his eyes these are all this is considered a category of someone who is dangerously ill therefore you may violate the Shabbos for him and any necessity for healing is done for him a person who has a wound internal in his internal organs from his lips and inward they may fit it's in his mouth, in his or in his intestines, in his, uh, his liver, or in his spleen, or in any other uh, uh, internal organ, any other place in his body. Inside, as long as it's internal, that's considered a dangerous illness. He doesn't require an evaluation because we can assume it's a serious illness. Therefore, you can violate the Shabbos for him, without, without an evaluation. Um, a wound on the back of the hand or on the back of a foot that's like a wound in the internal organs does not require evaluation and Shabbos is violated for that person no assessment necessary uh, uh, a fever or a uh, which causes his flesh to uh, to contract it's like an internal wound. Any illness that the contemporary doctors say that this is, is a dangerous illness, life threatening illness, even if it's on the skin on the outside, Shabbos is violated based on the instruction of the doctors. A person who swallows a leech, a water leech. And in which case it's considered very dangerous because it it, it uh, can cause an internal uh, uh, damage by uh, latching itself to the internal organs. heat water on any other necessary healing process may be done for him. because that's considered a life threatening illness. So we, drinking hot water would kill the leech, and therefore that may be done. someone who was bitten by a rabid or wild dog. Or any of the creepy crawler things that that uh, can can uh, kill someone with their bite, like a, like a poisonous snake. Even if it's a doubt if they kill or not, any any uh, necessary medical intervention will be done to save the person. Doctors who people evaluated this person, he requires to be eat one fig. And ten people ran to bring him a fig, and all the people came back at one time. They're all uh, uh, putter. They're all not liable for any kind of punishment, even though they, they brought more than one fig. Ultimately, 
because they all did what's right, because each one's hoping to bring it for as soon as possible. Even they brought one after the other. Even if after he, he ate the first one and he was healed, someone else came along with the second one, not knowing the first one uh, had brought it already, got there before him. They're all putter again because they all have done so uh, with the appropriate permission to save a life. Now, of course, if they know the person has a figure ready, uh, they want to bring him a second one, and the doctor did not say so, that would be a problem. If a sick person required two figs, they found two figs growing on two different branches. So it means you have to cut off two branches to bring the person what he needs. And they found another branch, and this one branch, there's three um uh, figs. You cut off the one branch that has three figs, even though he only needs two. So that this way, they're, you're not doing more of the action of pruning than necessary. Even if, though you're cutting one uh, stem, although, although you're going to be cutting one, you won't have to cut, end up cutting two. A similar thing applies in all situations. When we do Shabbos, we do exactly what the person needs. But if there's a way to do it, minimizing it, like in this example, you can cut off one branch which has two or even three, which is more than necessary of the amount of uh, figs, rather than doing the action two times, we do it one time. Tess, someone cooks food for a sick person on Shabbos. The person eats in the food and he doesn't eat everything. Also, a person who is healthy may not eat the leftovers because we're worried the person who cooks for him on Shabbos, for the sick person, will add some potatoes to the pot for the healthy person. If you shecht the slaughtering animal for a sick person on Shabbos, and the person eats from the animal, but he leaves some of the animal over, obviously he's not going to eat the whole cow, for example. Even if it's a small goat, for example, he still not, might, might not eat the whole thing. A healthy person may eat from the meat, obviously he has to eat it raw, because he can't cook, cook, cook on Shabbos, but he may eat the raw meat. Now, we're not worried that there's anything more to do that we're, we're concerned the person will add to the malach on Shabbos, for him, because you, the act of shechting is one malacha. Once the animal's dead, it's dead. It's not, no, nothing you're going to be worried about. A person will do more to accommodate the healthy person. Whereas when it comes to cooking for a, 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 a sick person, we are worried that he's going to add to the cooking process by adding food to the pot, for example, for the healthy person. The chenikolitibs are similar in all the situations when there's no reason to worry about a person doing more deeds when he violates the Shabbos for a sick person, then, you, then we let the healthy person take benefit from what, what was done, as long as there's no, there's no concern that it's going to cause an increase in Chil Shabbos. Yud. A sick person that's not dangerously ill, but he is sick. You, may, you, you can do any, anything, anything necessary for his healing, for treatment, but it must be done through a non-Jew, which is normally forbidden, forbidden on Shabbos to have a non-Jew do malacha for you, but for a sick person you may. Keta, for example, you tell the, 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 the non-Jew to do this forbidden deed, and he does it. To cook and to bake, and to bring, bring medicine from one domain to the other, which is a prohibition of carrying, and anything else like that that's forbidden. A person may have a non-Jew apply ointment to his eyes on Shabbos, even though it's a pain which is not life-threatening. And if they needed something to be done, it was not a malacha, but it was, let's say, forbidden rabbinically, even a, a Jewish person may do it. Therefore, you're allowed to... Um, Lift the ears. It's idea like lifting the lifting up the tendons of the ears, apparently, uh, which is uh, a healing thing, which is forbidden on Shabbos, 
uh, generally on Shabbos, a person is not allowed to administer treatment uh, because we're worried he's going to grind herbs. But um, uh, if it's a, it's a rabbinic prohibition of, of healing, like lifting of the tendons of the ears or malin on kali, which is all lifting, lifting up the cartilage around the heart, or or returning a broken bone, displaced bone to its place. In these cases, the um, the Jewish person may do these rabbinic prohibitions on Shabbos because the person is ill. And all these situations of similar rabbinic prohibitions may be done on Shabbos for a sick person. Yud Aleph. A woman who's giving birth, when she, when she squats to give birth, she's in a state that we presume her life is in danger. Even though most women survive, even back then, certainly today, most women survive the uh, process of childbirth, it is considered to be a dangerous time, and therefore she has the halacha of a sick person whose life is in danger. We may violate the Shabbos for her. We may summon a midwife on her behalf from a distant place, even though they're going to be going outside what's called the Tchum Shabbos, the, um, uh, the limits of a person may travel on Shabbos. You cut the umbilical cord. When she, if she requires a candle to be lit when she's crying out with birth pains we'd light the candle for her she's blind because her mind is calm when there's a candle even though she cannot see because if she knows the candle is lit and the people treating her can see she's more calm in her mind she believes she's getting better treatment if she needs oil and like we bring it for her even through a public domain now because the, the even though it's considered a dangerous time most women do survive childbirth the Ramam qualifies any situation over here unlike a person who's dangerously ill literally dangerously ill where there's no need to do the malach in a strange way you do everything and as far as you're concerned it might as well be Sunday in this case for a woman who's in who's in uh, giving birth if you're able to anything you can change do things in an abnormal fashion you change it when you bring bring the uh, oil for her for example so uh, you have the her fellow her, her friend bring the object for her uh, the item uh, while it's ha- ha- hanging from her hair, that's considered carrying in an ab- abnormal fashion. And doing a malach on Shabbos in an ab- abnormal fashion is biblically permitted, rabbinically forbidden, and so that's therefore, since it's biblically, biblically permitted, uh, therefore it's preferable to do it in that fashion, and we do so in the case of a woman giving birth. If it's impossible for the thing to be brought hanging from her hair, like it's too heavy, for example, to tear her hair out, then you, carry, then you do carry it in the normal fashion. Yud Beis, you do not help an idolatrous woman uh, give birth on Shabbos. Even if she's paying, we're not worried about the possibility of of a hatred or ill feelings being aroused. Even though there's no violent, even though you, whatever you're doing, and perhaps not, is not even violating the Shabbos. However, a, a non-Jewish woman who keeps the seven mitzvahs noyach, you do help her give birth on Shabbos because we're, we have an obligation to um, provide life and uh, sustenance, so to speak, to, to help uh, the, the Gentiles who keep the, law, the seven mitzvahs of noyach to live. However, we not violate the Shabbos on their behalf. Yud Gimel, Chaya, a midwife. Uh, excuse me, I'm sorry. A, a woman who uh, who's giving birth. Once the blood starts to flow, when she starts giving birth, until she actually gives birth, and after she gives birth for three days, then you violate the Shabbos for her, she's considered a person who is dangerously ill. 
Based on call to her, you do for anything she needs. You uh, whether she whether she says I need it to be done or not, so she's considered for the first three days to be to be a person dangerously ill. From after three days until the seventh day, if she says I don't need it, you don't violate Shabbos for her. If she doesn't, if she doesn't have an opinion one way or the other, she's quiet. But she, or if she says certainly I do need it, we do violate the Shabbos for her behalf. From seven until thirty days, she has the category of a sick person who's not dangerously ill. But if she says I do need this thing, we only violate the Shabbos for her through a non-Jew's uh, uh, agency. You make a fire for a woman who's giving birth even in the summertime. Because cold is very difficult for women giving childbirth in the uh, cold regions. We do not make a fire for any other kind of sick person to warm themselves, presuming that we're talking about a person who's not dangerously ill. Hiki is dumb. It's time a person who gave blood or let blood, and then he became very cold because he gave a lot of blood. We make a fire for him. I feel like because time is even in the summer season. You may wash a child on Shabbos on the day he's born after you cut the umbilical cord, which is considered a part of the healing process or the, the medical uh, treatment for a newborn. I feel like even if it means heating up water on Shabbos. You salt his skin with some kind of uh, salty herb to help his uh, skin. And this is the means the process of <coughs> arranging his limbs and, and any kind of limbs that are that are uh, crooked. Because it, not, not to do these things for the, for the newborn is considered dangerous. You may wash the child before the circumcision and after it on the day of the circumcision and the and as well as the third day of the circumcision before and, uh, on the third day. Uh, even if it requires water being heated on Shabbos, because of the danger involved, it's considered healthy for the child to have him to be washed on the before and after the bris, and also on the third day when the pain is the most intense. Tezvav a woman who sat on the birthing chair, so to speak. She started giving birth and then she died in childbirth. We may bring a knife on Shabbos, even if it means carrying uh, carrying through a public domain. We cut, out, we cut open her stomach, and take out the child, and perhaps he'll be alive. Because even a doubt about saving a life, in this case, the life of the baby, this place is the Shabbos. Even this child, we have no reason to assume necessarily that he's alive. But even for the doubt, we violate the Shabbos by doing these two two malachas of carrying, as well as as well as cutting well, or the malacha of carrying rather, and uh, cutting open the stomach of the woman who's dead is not a malacha because she's already passed away. But that may be done. Uh, this malacha may be done on Shabbos it's to the, the possibility of saving the baby should the baby be alive. Shabbos, we may do anything necessary to save. Uh, a life on Shabbos. You don't have to add, go ask a rabbi or ask, ask the court. Whoever acts more sooner, whoever is faster to save, he's praised by the kids. For example, person saw a baby drowning in the ocean. When he spread a net to uh, bring up the baby, even though that's going to inevitably have him catch fish. That's permitted. It's and it's praiseworthy. A person heard that there's a baby who 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 um, fell into the ocean, uh, uh, into the sea. 
he spreads his net in an attempt to save him, even though he does not see him. And he only ends up catching fish. He's not, he's, he's, he's um, not uh, liable for uh, any kind of balacha of trapping on Shabbos. Because he intended to do a permitted deed of saving the child. He intended to fish and, and bring up uh, fish on Shabbos. And he ended up uh, catching fish as well as the baby. You know, he had no idea that the baby was drowning. If he did not even hear that the baby was drowning, since ultimately he brought up the child with the fish together, he's not liable because by definition, his act of bringing up the net with the child inside it cannot be defined as Chil Shabbos since he saved the child's life in doing so and that's, that's permitted on Shabbos. If a child fell into a pit, now that's considered da- dangerous for his life because a child will will, uh, will uh, become hysterical and, and scared and could die. He may dislodge a clot of earth and uh, and then even though doing so, so that he's going he's going to end up kind of dislodging a clot of earth when he attempts to uh, create some sort of stepping process to go into the pit to bring the child up. Even though he's going to end up. Uh, uh, Having some sort of creating a step of a step uh, of sorts, uh, by which he's going to exit the pit. So that would normally be considered the halacha, the malacha of built of building. Uh, but in this case, he's part because he's saving the child. In al dalas of fatinik, if a child is locked in, the, in, 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 a, in a room and the door is locked, shayv al dalas matzia, he may break the door down and save him. Al pishuhu mifasal eisam bekemin eitzim shoyin the malacha, even though that's the violation of preparing uh, uh, chips for firewood. Or for any other, excuse me, any, any other kind of work that the, these worships can be, can be used with, that malach is permitted to save the child. Shema yiboy satinik v'yomas. Again, these cases which we're afraid the child will become petrified, scared, and he'll die. Now, for the lake of a fire broke out. There's a person there worried he's going to become uh, burned uh, by the flames. We, we put out the fire to save him from the fire. Now, you might ask, what's the uh, novelty about that? The only prohibition of putting out a fire on Shabbos is if the uh, fire produces, the, putting out the fire produces uh, coal. And in this case, perhaps the fire he's putting out is not going to produce any coal. So uh, why, does it, why, why would you even think you can't uh, extinguish the fire? So Ram says, even though putting out the fire, somehow that's going to create uh, uh, a pathway. So again, it's like a, a pathway to the building or a pathway to the, to the, uh, the, the courtyard where the fire is. In any event, there's a malach of, of you, that it's happening over here of considered building or preparing a pathway while you extinguish the fire, and that malacha is allowed to be done uh, in order to save the person. Again, you don't need to take the permission of the court in any manner where there is a, 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 any issue, a situation where there's a question of saving a life. Somebody who a uh, pile of rocks fell on him, an avalanche. We're worried, but we're not sure if the person is under the pile or not. We do uh, clear the uh, the uh, rocks in, in the possibility of finding the person alive and saving him. Even though he was crushed, and it's impossible he'll survive, uh, he's eventually going to die from this soon. We do, nevertheless, uh, uh, clear the, the the rocks on top of him and take him out. This way, he can at least live for whatever amount of time uh, he will still live, which tells you, of course, the importance of even one moment of life in the view of the Torah. If they were able to uh, 
let's see, they uncovered the stone. They they they, they uncover they, they uncovered his face, and they see that his nose there's no uh, he's not breathing from his nose. They can put a feather, for example, in front of his nose. They see there's no movement. They leave him there with fire because he's already dead if he's not breathing. In Torah in view, not breathing is considered death. But go much if they if they search into the pile they found people on on the higher up the higher higher level who had died. They should not say those under it for sure died. You take away all the debris. It's possible in an avalanche that the ones who ones who are on top because of the way the stones fall they got crushed. The person under that somehow survived. If you have a courtyard that has in it Gentiles or idolaters. As well as Jews, I feel you saw echad ve'elaf evdik kachavim masalas. Even this one Jew, there's a thousand non-Jews. Nafalei ma pelas and an avalanche falls on them. Fachinas alakolam pei Yisrael, you remove all the stones, uh, even though it means the malacha. For example, of carrying on Shabbos, in fact, the stones are mukta. It doesn't. It's not surprising that you could do it, save a possible life. But in this case, it means, for example, carrying, or it's going to require uh, another malacha, whatever it is. Uh, because of this one Jewish person, you're allowed to remove the entire avalanche. Uh, what if this this group of people with one Jew among them left that courtyard to go to a different courtyard and that one person in that courtyard had an avalanche fall on him again you remove all the stones maybe this one person who separated himself from the group was the, was the Jew the people who remained were all the non-Jews now why don't you say, why don't you say over here we should go after the Rav and the majority are non-Jews. It's a thousand non-Jews and one Jew. That's a question we'll have to explain at the end of Allah Chafalaf. If they all together were walking from this courtyard to go to a different courtyard, while they were walking, and after having uprooted themselves, in, in transit, one of them left the group and went to a different a different uh, courtyard. And then an avalanche fell on him. We don't know who it is. We don't uncover the avalanche. Because since they all began to uproot themselves, they're all in transit. We cannot be absolutely certain that this person who separated himself is a Jew. And whoever separates himself from the group while they're walking, the assumption is that he the, that the uh, that the one person separated himself from the group is from the majority of the category, i.e., a non-Jew, rather than the minority, which is a Jew. In the earlier case, when they were in the courtyard and one person separated himself, there's a principle of kol Since they're in their established state, they're in their in their uh, home turf, so to speak. They're not any kind of transient state. So we view that even though even though the, the ratio is not 50-50, we view it as if it's 50-50, so the one person who separated himself is a suffix. So just like if it was 10 Jews and 10 non-Jews, you would say that if one person separates himself, you have to uncover the avalanche. So too, if it's just one person from a, from a group of 1,000 Jews and one Jewish person, we view it as 50-50. When, however, they're transient, we no longer say that. We go after the majority, and therefore, since it's only one Jew and 1,000 non-Jews, we would not... Uh, uh, uncover the avalanche on Shabbos. The fichah, therefore, in Ha'ir Yisrael, the majority were Jewish people. Even if though they were transient, and one of the people went uh, to another courtyard, and uh, the avalanche fell on him, we would uncover it because the, because we go after the majority. So if it's if it's with a thousand Jews and nine hundred ninety nine non Jews, you go after the majority. Halacha Chav Beis. 
excuse me, so you go after the majority in that case, and if therefore if the majority is Jews, you would uncover the avalanche. If the majority is not Jews, you would not. So when they're in transit, in transient, when they're in transit from one location to another, not kavua, they're not established, then you do follow the majority. If they are established, then even if it's one Jew, you would view it as if it's 50-50. Chav Beis. Amahalach Hamidva, someone who's traveling in the desert. The Ramadan now moves on to a very interesting situation. Amahalach Hamidva, someone who's traveling in the wilderness. He does not know when Shabbos is. He loses track of the days. So whenever he realizes he has no idea what day of the week it is, um, he begins to count six days. And he sanctifies the seventh day. He makes the brach of Kiddush. And at the end of his Shabbos, so to speak, he makes Abdullah every single day. Uh, excuse me, but Shabbos. So this is Midrash uh, Baron. Just to note, so the person does not forget the principle of Shabbos, even though the day he's keeping might not be Shabbos, but it's a way of making sure he remembers about about Shabbos. Every single day, even that very day where he makes kiddush and this Abdullah, he may do malacha, but just enough in order to survive. She so can only cook, for example, the basic minimum he needs to eat. He should not die. And he may not do on any day more than he needs, just to cook food for tomorrow, for example, to save time. Because every day might be Shabbos. If he knows that day is the 8th or 15th or any multiple of 7 plus 1 from when he left the, um, you know, when he was set on his journey, he may do Malach on that day. Because the assumption is surely did not leave and go on and, and, and depart on the journey or the caravan when on Shabbos. It was a different day of the week. So that day he knows it's not Shabbos. The other days, except for that day, he may only do the minimum of his parnasa. But that day, which is the multiple of seven plus one, he knows it's not, it's not Shabbos, he can do whatever he likes. The Gimel was the basis of Lubavitcher Rebbe's Middle East policy. Gentiles who lay siege to a Jewish city, if they're coming for monetary purposes, they want the Jewish gold. You do not violate the Shabbos. You do not do war with them. However, if it's a city close to the border, they only came to this border city just for some minimal monetary purpose, straw and hay, you go again, again, out on Shabbos to fight them, even with weapons, because if they breach the border, that may make the entire country fall before them. In, 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 in any situation, in general, if they come for to, to kill someone, or they arrange a formal war, they arrange a formal war, or they lay siege to a city without saying their intent, whether it's for monetary purposes or to actually kill. So then, we go against, we go out uh, to fight them on Shabbos with weapons, and we fight the Shabbos. Every Jew able to come, help, to go out and help their brothers and mother who are in this situation, uh, dire situation of, of siege. Save them from the Gentiles. Shabbos on, on Shabbos. But also the handle of Shabbos, it's forbidden to wait till after Shabbos. when they save their brothers, they're allowed to return with their weapons to their original location on Shabbos, in order that we don't um, create a dangerous situation in the future. 
that is, is that if they go to save their brothers and they, and they, and they fight the war and they're successful, they leave their weapons where they are and they go home unarmed, there may be uh, another attack. And in order, to, in order to prevent that, they're allowed to bring their weapons home with them. The boat, which is uh, drowning, sinking in the ocean, or a city that was surrounded by um, uh, a flood uh, or like a river, so it's uh, you know a, a, a tsunami, for example, that, that caused uh, causing a flood. is a mitzvah to go out on Shabbos and save them in any manner possible. Even an one individual is being chased by goyim, or by a snake, or a bear, or chasing after to kill him. Even if it requires doing many different lachs on Shabbos, even if you have to go go and and uh, fashion or create a sword out of metal to go to a blacksmith and create a sword in order to save him, is all permitted. On Shabbos, you may cry out for them, uh, on behalf and and and, and supplicate Hashem. We, we sound trumpets to help them, which presumably means. Not that we sound trumpets as a way of crying out to Hashem to help them, but we sound the trumpets to, you know, sound the alarm so that everyone should come from the surrounding towns and help. However, on Shabbos, we do not cry out to Hashem because of a plague. That's not considered an immediate danger. A plague is not considered an immediate danger. When Jewish armies are laying siege to a non-Jewish city, it should be done at least three days before Shabbos, because uh, this way your mind is, mind is, when Shabbos comes, their mind is settled in the more in a Shabbos spirit. But the actual war can be waged every day, including Shabbos, until you conquer the enemy. Even though it's a war, which is a rishus, not it's not a mitzvah. It's like just for the sake of expanding the borders of Eretz Yisrael or making it more secure. It's not a mitzvah. It's not a war. That's a mitzvah, like as it would be if there was if the Jews are being attacked, or if they're trying to kill out a Malik or the seven nations. From, from the oral tradition, we learn until it's until it's subdued. It's in Devar and Perikhaf Pasikhaf. Till Shabbos, even on Shabbos. Needless to say, if it's the war which is a mitzvah, like uh, conquering uh, Amalek of the seven nations, or if the Jewish people are attacked, that may for sure be done on Shabbos. Yeshua, Joshua conquered Jericho on Shabbos.